Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. James Caulfield, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you, Mark. Nice to be here. It's great to have you here, James. You and I have uh, had some conversations before this podcast, and I'm looking forward to to our conversations. It's it, it each time we speak, it sort of goes wherever it goes, and it's a it's always an interesting conversation for me. And so we'll see where it goes. Um, let me introduce you. Ramble. Let me let me let me uh, let people know who you are. Uh, James Caulfield has been a professional photographer for more than 30 years creating compelling images of people, places, and things both here in the U.S. and abroad. Uh, his clients have included some of the largest brands in the world. In recent years, James has concentrated on food and beverage and architecture. His interest in architectural subjects grew out of his own efforts restoring a Froman and Jebson-designed bank in Chicago, a mid-century modern home in Glencoe uh, by the noted architects Keck and Keck, and his repurposing of several industrial buildings in Chicago as studios in support of his advertising business. His passion for preservation led him to volunteer his services to the Frank Lloyd Wright Trust in Oak Park, Illinois, for whom he's documented the buildings on the trust's annual internationally attended housewalk, the Wright Plus. Uh, there, he met architectural writer Patrick F. Cannon in 2004, with whom he collaborated with on six books, Hometown Architect, 
Prairie Metropolis, Frank Lloyd Wright's Unity Temple, Louis Sullivan, uh, The Space Within, and his new book, At Home in Chicago, A Living History of Domestic Architecture, which is a study of the evolution of custom residential design in Chicago, showcasing James's photography of nearly 75 distinct residential designs, from log cabins to net energy uh, projects, about 360 pages of photography. And so um, you should go check that out. And so I I want to uh, have you start at the beginning, James. I want to understand your origin story. When did you discover your passion for what you do and what inspired you or who inspired you to become a photographer? Was that relative to architecture or not? Well, no, at the, at the very beginning. Where did because architecture came more recently, from what I understand. What what inspired you in the beginning? Uh, I, I think it got to a point where I I had to decide what I would do to to make a living, and I I, I guess I entertained the idea that it might actually incorporate something creative. And uh, I, I come from a background of music as well. And uh, having picked up a camera as a teenager, as well as a number of my friends, and even learning how to work in a dark room while still a teenager, I, uh, I was being asked to take pictures of bands for promotional purposes. And uh, and I think that's where it, it started. And uh, I, I was I was hooked, and I was fairly comfortable in those days shooting pictures of people as well. Where where who actually gave you that first camera? Where did you get that camera? You said you picked up a camera when you were a teen. And, you know, where where did that camera come from? Was it somebody in your family? Yeah, it was a friend. It was a friend. Uh, there was a uh, a friend who had a basement where everyone assembled. Uh, almost nightly for you know all the the various things you can imagine being that it was the the 60s but uh you know there were always uh projects going on design projects some some graphic design some incorporating photography uh and uh i wanted to be involved and it wasn't it wasn't difficult to raise your hand and be recognized and uh it 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 led to, like I say, doing some some work for bands, and that led to album covers. What kind of music? Uh, well, it was a little bit of everything, uh, primarily jazz. Mm-hmm. There was a time when I was uh, asked to manage a jazz band and uh, ultimately did some photography for them as well as booked them and uh, negotiated a record contract and ended up doing that cover as well as the cover of their next album before I backed out because I got too busy with my advertising work at the studio. But uh, we're talking way back. This is early 70s. When for you during during that time when you picked up the camera and you started shooting because it was something interesting and creative to starting to manage those bands and recognized that photography was a part of that uh, with with album covers. When did it become, did you become aware that 
this could be a profession for you, that it was more than just this cool thing that I was doing to be part of the group to realizing that there was something that I could do for my, for my career. Well, I, I had absolutely no sense that I couldn't do it uh, as a career or for a living. I, I was doing a number of things all at the same time because I had, you know, being a kid, I had endless energy and I, photography was just one of my part-time jobs. I was also going to school. Uh, I, I was tending bar in those days. I was uh, also managing a, uh, a, a consulting firm where I was the only consultant and my uh, primary client was the First National Bank of Chicago. And I was specializing in database design back when IT was called data processing. So and a computer, I, a computer guy too. Very I was a computer on. guy in those days. Yeah. Math major in school and then a computer guy and, uh, and ended up writing a systems development methodology to uh, enable analysts to design better systems and programmers to write better programs. And then uh, ultimately took on the responsibility of myself of designing the data because no one else had thought of it, I guess. And then I developed a, uh, a set of rules or a methodology for how to do that. And uh, the reasons behind it, Mark, was to make programs run faster. Yeah. Because program programming systems in those days were running incredible amounts of information for many, many clients, but they were on very uh, early computers that the batch work essentially would take all night and they, right. would, they couldn't open the bank in the morning because it wasn't done and the reports weren't printed and they weren't on the desks and there were no, you know, terminals on people's desks to enable them to get or access information. So those reports were quite important. And uh, like I say, I came up with a technique for designing data that dovetailed into their plans at the time and ended up saving them. It was successful. Let me just put that out there and it saved them a lot of money. Yeah. And they enjoyed having me around and they were paying me in, in terms of the seventies, I was making an incredible amount of money per hour and I could name my hours. So I couldn't say no. And, yeah. and I did it for about almost 10 years. And, uh, and so did you, you did both, you did that work and, photography at the same time? Uh, yes, sir. And, and like I said, I was in school. Yeah, I was pursuing a degree at the time. And I was tending bar. And I was managing the jazz band. And uh, <laughs> so at that time, at the, thinking back at that time, where you're doing all those different things, did you have sort of a plan? Like, this is what I think my life would look like in the future? Or were you just sort of rolling with it and see where it went? Well, I'm, your, I'm your average string of consciousness, you know, <laughs> Seat of the pants, day by day kind of guy. I, I generally haven't you know, done much in the way of planning. So move towards the things that work and abandon the things that don't, and see where yeah, it takes you. If it hurts too bad, then stop doing that. Yeah. So you eventually became a very well documented fashion photographer. So how did you get from from data analysis to fashion photography? Oh uh, well. There were coincident events and they were uh, part of that quest I mentioned to you earlier about trying to incorporate something 
creative into what I would do. Yeah. And uh, musical promotional photography and album covers was one avenue that was available to me. But I realized at the time that fashion photography was another. It seemed like you had unlimited uh, control over what you were doing, even more so than I had experienced photographing bands. And so I, I kind of went in that direction and tested together a portfolio. I, I had resources, I'll put it to you that way, because of that consulting firm. Right. But uh, it, it enabled me to have a studio and buy equipment. And uh, like I say, test together a portfolio and find an agent. And all of that paid off like with immediacy I couldn't have imagined. I think as soon as the agent took the book to the first client I was working, you know, could have been same day, but it was probably the next day. Yeah. So you, so you created a portfolio, put it out there with an agent who had some connections and got, got work. When, when did the realization that, uh, photography was going to be the, the, the path and, and where did you sort of, uh, stop with the computers and the data work to 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 sort of pursue the photography full time? Well, that's that's interesting. I, I'm going to say 1984. Uh, that's my recollection. I was booked. I think it was Northbrook Court Shopping Center, whatever agency was handling that account back in the day and Marshall Fields, both through my agent decided to allow me to take photographs of my own design while I was in first, it was a, a recreational trip as that started out and I was gonna go to Cairo for a week and then I was gonna go to Paris for a week following just to relax and then come back. And my agent got wind of it and he started selling the concept to people of, why don't you give him some clothes? And while he's there, he'll shoot him, and he'll come back with some pictures and you, and it, it worked. All of a sudden I was carrying clothes and taking my <laughs> studio manager along with me and, uh, and photographing while I was there. A free ride to Cairo. And, you know, just being gone for those, two weeks and returning to Chicago, I just thought, I can't, for the life of me, imagine going back to the office anymore and doing what I had been doing, suited up and sitting at a desk, yeah, dealing with people who were primarily 20 years older than I was. The creative side won. I, yeah, <laughs> but it was all serendipity. Yeah. It wasn't planned. It just, it just got to the point where I said, okay, that's it. It sounds, it sounds like and, and through conversations with you that it sounds like the control that you had as a photographer was appealing, that, that the, there was less control on the computer side with, with your destiny, like where, where you were headed, than on the photography side. You can sort of set your own rules, do your own thing, be more creative the way you wanted to be as a photographer. Is that true? Yeah. Well, I, yeah, control, I think, is attractive to humans or even the, <laughs> the impression or, you know, I don't think we really have it. And I, I think the times that it even 
rears its ugly head or fleeting in life. But uh, in, in terms of creative control as a fashion photographer in yeah. the early 80s, uh, there was there were so many clients to work for and there were so few photographers uh, doing what I was doing that I was immediately amongst just a handful of guys who were elite. And uh, when they hired me, my recollection of this anyway, was that they loved the idea of me shooting these pictures for them based I would assume on what they had seen that I had done. Yeah. And that that's what gave me the, the energy to, to move into that space and, and do that for them. Uh, yeah, it was a service, but it, it felt good because I felt like those people really appreciated me and yeah. really wanted whatever it is I came up with. And, you know, there was always exceptions to that, but, uh, and sometimes there was a lot of pressure applied along with that, that sentiment. I mean, some, some art directors, I, I remember one doing an advertising job in New York where he just kept saying to me over and over again, this has to be the best thing you've ever done. <laughs> and after a while, I no just, pressure. just walk out, but <laughs> you know, I did the best I could, but that didn't make it a fun experience. Yeah. I'd much rather people just say, hey, you know, do what you do, and I'm sure it'll be fine. And But those days are gone. They, they really are, I think, yeah. um, unless you are actually amongst the elite, but no longer. How did I, you How did you connect with your agent? Where Where, because that seems to be the thing that sort of, you know, was the catalyst to turn the photography into a career. Where yeah. did that connection come from? To a great degree. I think you're right, Mark. It was uh, a mutual friend who was a makeup artist that I was working with at the time who would come over and do test shoots with me to create samples to go into both of our portfolios as well as the models. And uh, she liked what I was doing enough to say, look, I've got this guy who you got to meet because I think you guys could really do something together. And he was working in an ad agency, but wanted to leave and become an agent. And I think he was probably open to finding a talent that he could work with. And it was timing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, one of those things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, so you've worked with dozens. And he was incredible, by the way, he was an incredible agent and just one of those people, unlike me, he could just walk into a room and people would love him love them yeah, and they yeah. they couldn't spend enough time with them and they couldn't throw enough work his way and once again that was just serendipity because i had never met him before yeah that's that's a very important piece of the puzzle though right because we're talking to architects right we're talking to small firm architects a lot of them very creative people many of them not so interested in the business side right that it's it's not their strength it's not the thing that they love most and so the fact that you found the, the, a person who you could essentially partner with to, to do the things that you didn't either like to do or you weren't good at, um, somebody that sort of can walk into a room and resonate with anybody that they connect with, that's a powerful uh, piece to the puzzle, right? That you're a very talented creative, but all by yourself, you probably would have never gotten to the level that you attained without that partnership with somebody who can 
introduce you to the people that needed to be introduced to. True that. Yeah, and architects, you know, should find that too, right? That if you are struggling as an architect, it's likely because they are pieces of the business puzzle that are missing, right? And so if, if you find somebody who can thrive, not only will that's, that's willing to do it, but loves to do it, right? That mm -hmm. your agent probably loves to make those connections, to have those conversations and, and, and make those deals. Uh, it's probably something that they were passionate about. And so architects can do that too, where they find that person who can be passionate about the things that you're not so much passionate about. Yeah. yeah. So you've worked with with some of the most well known brands in the world, um, working in photography and food and beverage. How did you get into the food and beverage thing? Was that just basically an evolution of the, the process of being a photographer and those connections you were being made? made making? Yeah, I was lear learning how to age gracefully uh, and stay in the business to one you know, to, to, that's one point I, I think I should make. Uh, fashion photography is for youngsters, and uh, I'll leave it at that. But uh, I was trying to find something that would enable me because at the time I found myself married and with children. And it was trying to find a way to stay in town, number one, and uh, get home for dinner. Yeah maybe be home on weekends and becoming a studio photographer and staying away from fashion and models and locations was uh, was a, a major desire of mine at that point. And product photography, still life photography and the technical challenges of it were were interesting to me. They were, they were even provocative. And that dovetailed nicely into the whole transition of the business from film to digital. And, and to computers that I thought I left forever when I got became a photographer. So, you know, things do in a, an odd sort of way come full circle. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. This episode is brought to you by BQE, the makers of BQE Core systems and standard operating procedures. You already know that that's how to build a profitable business and find the freedom you want. You need systems and procedures, but you struggle with choosing which systems you need most and how to implement those systems quickly so you can get back to doing what you love most. The Designing Your Business Masterclass series was created by acclaimed architect and business consultant, Douglas Teeger to help fellow architects and engineers run their firms more profitably while maintaining a healthy work-life balance. Douglas grew from a solo practitioner to become managing partner of his 30-plus person firm and then later sold his firm so he can do what he does today, helping architects be more successful at Tiger Consulting. On the third Wednesday of every month, Douglas dives deep into an essential topic that will strengthen the profitability of your firm and make it sustainable for growth in the years to come. Register now for the next Designing Your Business Masterclass with Douglas Teeger at bqe.com masterclass and start implementing powerful systems for the profitability you need and the freedom you want. Every live masterclass session includes AIA continuing education credit and when you visit bqe.com masterclass, you'll have access to the full library of past sessions on demand. 
The Designing Your Business Masterclass is free, and it's brought to you by our friends at BQE, the makers of BQE Core, the software that makes it easy to manage your projects and people for maximum productivity and ultimate profitability. Register now for the Designing Your Business Masterclass at bqe.com slash masterclass. That's bqe.com slash masterclass. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. There's a lot to love about being an entrepreneur architect, right? But trying to figure out your financials on your own is not one of those things. Luckily, there's FreshBooks, the all-in-one accounting solution that's built for business owners like us. FreshBooks takes all the not-so-fun parts of running a business from building and tracking invoices to managing online payments to organizing expenses and automates them with features like the new digital bills and receipt scanner, saving you up to 11 hours per week in the process, 11 hours. FreshBooks has your back at tax time too. It's almost tax time. With a ton of reports to choose from, you'll know exactly where your business stands and you can easily hand the keys over to your accountant so they can take over when it's time to reconcile everything for the year. Try FreshBooks, try FreshBooks for free for 30 days. No credit card required. It's free. Go to freshbooks.com slash architect. Freshbooks.com slash architect. Get started today. That's freshbooks.com slash architect. So what will you do with your 11 more hours each week? This episode is brought to you by rcat.com. We all have that one story, that one project that had such a unique situation that it required a solution that you had rarely considered before. We share these stories in private professional circles with our friends and our colleagues, but there has never been a collection of these stories of conflict and triumph all in one place until now. Detailed is a podcast series that features architects, engineers, builders, and manufacturers who share their insights and expertise as they highlight some of the most complex, interesting, and oddball building conditions that they have ever encountered, and the ingenuity it took to solve them. Join host Sharice Lakeside, aka CSI Kraken, a senior specifications writer at RDH Building Science as she uncovers lessons learned to help you navigate similar challenges that may arise in your next project. Detailed, an original podcast by ArtCat. Listen and subscribe right now at ArtCat.com slash podcast. That's ArtCat.com slash podcast. A-R-C-A-T dot com slash podcast. Detailed, every building has a story. Please visit our sponsors today and thank them. Thank them for supporting you the Entree Architect community. I love that completion of the cycle that you started in computers and tech and, and loved that and thrived in it. Uh, and the creative side just took over and there was a season that you were all in creative. And, and then because of the evolution of our society and technology, it all came right back around. And so there, then you can leverage your knowledge and your passion for the technology to even improve the creativity that you were that you were experiencing and, and the control that we talked about earlier yeah it, it felt like there was so much more control over the whole process you knew 
if it was in focus for one, you knew if it was uh, exposed properly. And if, if I was shooting people, and I still was when digital happened, you knew if you had the expression and you knew if the clothes looked the way they needed to look. It wasn't like you would just shoot a lot of film until the art director asks you if you have it. And then you kind of go, well, yeah, I think so. <laughs> and then you have to wait till the next day to see the film when it gets back from the lab to find out that, no, you really didn't have it. Or, yeah, yeah luckily, there it is. Yeah. And but digital is very different, right? Digital, you're actually looking at a large monitor where you can check the exposure, check the focus, see it's the expression. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah the, the control factor was definitely there. And that's that was part of the provocative aspect to it. Plus, it was the it, it enabled me to get more technically involved in the process rather than just this creative shoot from the hip guy with a camera who would toss the the film to his assistant and it would end up in a lab and come back and there it is i i, I would have literally no more to do with it except a selection edit and send those to the client but uh in digital there's there's infinite numbers of ways to uh, get involved in the process and the process uh, keeps growing for me yeah. So tell me, tell me, so you did fashion to food and beverage, and now you're doing a little, you know, more recently, uh, some architecture. You've written six books with Patrick uh, Cannon uh, about architecture, specifically Frank Lloyd Wright and the work that he's done in Chicago. Um, tell me the story of meeting Patrick. Yeah, and let me for sure tell you that Patrick is writing these books. Yeah. Yeah, Patrick's writing and your your photography. Yeah, it's it's a, a concept that uh, he comes up with. We discuss. You know, I, I may have something to say about altering a little bit, but I generally try not to step on his desires when it comes to these things, and uh, find other ways later on to uh, inhabit it. Uh, in, I've I've been somewhat successful at that uh though i think that now on this latest book uh i'll just add this here and now uh i'm designing it as well as having photographed it because i think that it's a, a real integral part of the process yeah when you're dealing with any visual art uh, selecting the images and then deciding where they will go and what other images they will live with on the page and how they will be cropped. Uh, it's, it's all very intimate stuff that I've always handed over to somebody else and been unhappy with the outcome. Of. So this one I'm designing myself, but back to your question with Pat, I, it was, a it was a me volunteering for the Frank Lloyd Wright trust. And, uh, because I was, I just, I found that I wanted to do something other than uh, advertising. And I did have an interest in architecture and Frank Lloyd Wright, exactly where that comes from. I, I don't know, I could evoke my father, I suppose. But uh, one day after having been ignored for, I think two years by the trust, 
one day I got a call asking me to come to a meeting to discuss a book they wanted to do and to meet the author and walked into a conference room and there was Pat and really the rest is history. And it was a, a very successful book that's still in print and still makes the trust a lot of money. Yeah. And I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. Had never photographed architecture before, but I don't know, Mark, it just kind of worked out somehow. Yeah. Well, I mean, I look at the book and I could, I could certainly improve it and I've offered. And in fact, I've even made real steps towards doing that by re-photographing things that I thought just needed to be re-represented in the next revision of the book. But the trust is going with it because it works for them. Yeah. Their attitude is it's not broke, so why fix it? Right, right. So it, it stays in its current state. So your interest uh, in your interest in architecture comes from some of the work that you've done in terms of renovations for for your own buildings and your own businesses. Um, that led you to start shooting pro was it pro bono work for for the trust or you know volunteering for the trust uh, to shoot some of their work uh, through an interest of of of, of that type of photo uh, photography. Yeah, that's. I, yeah, that's a diff difficult question to answer. I, I think that, yes, I, I had an interest in architecture, but uh, I think it, once again, we get back to control, but I, I liked very much to be able to control the space that I inhabited, whether it was my home or my studio. And for me, one of the beautiful things about being a photographer is I could justify having a studio. So yeah. I could have two spaces to control, not just one. <laughs> it wasn't just my house. Yeah. I could build a studio and, and furnish that and fill it with equipment and decide how the workflow would happen there. It was, it was a, another provocative thing. Yeah. And, uh, and I had already been through that process a number of times by the time I heard from the trust. Yeah. And so, yeah, I was dialed in, I suppose. You know, all my all my sensors were working as far as space and style and design. Uh, but I didn't, I really, when I contacted them, I had no idea what I'd be doing for them. Yeah. And so, I didn't know if it would be something I would like doing, and I didn't know if it would have any legs. But gosh, it's, I think it's 14 or 15 years later, and I'm still shooting the right plus tour promotional photography and and anything else that comes up in between. Yeah. And, and now, and now six books into working with Patrick. So what is it about books that you, that you enjoy? Because I could see doing one book because the trust asked you to, um, what made you do the second book and then the next and then the next and the next, what is it about the publishing of a book, uh, that appeals to you? Once again, nobody looking over my shoulder and telling me what to do uh, is, is a huge factor in it or how to do it. And uh, Pat and I would generally come up with a list of buildings that would be in any given book. And then I'm essentially cut loose to do whatever I need to do or want to do for sometimes a period up to four years. I'll work on a book. So there's no fire under me there's, and there's nobody breathing down my neck. And uh, Pat generally likes to pull the plug after about 
two and a half, three years, I'd say, he pretty much feels like, all right, this thing has got to get done and he'll impose an artificial deadline that I'll respect. But uh, I mean, honestly, I could still be working on the space with him and I'm not kidding you. I, I would be happy to be traveling around photographing great buildings in Chicago still. And maybe volume two or three would have happened by now. I don't know. But, uh, it's hard for me to stop once I get going. I'm, I'm a collector by nature. Yeah. So now you have the, the new book at home in Chicago, you're designing. Um, did you, did you design that book too? No, no, I didn't. And, so you're designing the new book. Yes, sir. Yes, What's sir. the new book about? It's uh, a revision of I, what I believe was the second book. The uh, Prairie uh, Metropolis. No, it must've been the third then Mark. And it, it was Unity about, Temple. Yeah, it was showcasing one building. Yep. And to me, that was kind of attractive. I'd never tried to do that before. Uh, and I thought my in and out on this whole project could be, you know, relatively short term. So uh, I agreed to that one pretty darn quick. Yeah. I think when I shot that book, I maybe did it with three visits to the temple four at the most counting the exterior. And uh, I just had a different perception then than I do now uh, of what what the process of making a book is about uh, or what documenting a building can be about. Um, and at, at the time I was like, okay, here you go. And once again, it went off. I had nothing to say about what photographs they used or how they were laid out on the page and the design of it was, was very poor. And I think even the, uh, I could say the printing uh, was not lovely. So to have an opportunity to get our hands on the con that book, I, I think the publisher elected not to revise the book or go into another printing and, and the, Represent amount of time has passed, and they just said, "Okay, you guys can have it now if you want it." And Pat, you know, took it, and then approached me and asked me if I wanted to rephotograph it again now that it's been restored. And uh, yeah, I bet, and I've probably been there forty times, easy photographing the building this time around, and uh, feel pretty good about what I have. Uh, much better than uh, what I had the first time around, but really didn't want to give it to anybody. I was feeling protective of it to such a degree that I told Pat, uh, I'm not going to give up the photography if you give this to someone else. To <laughs> An ultimatum. <laughs> yeah, first time I had done that. Yeah. So he, he agreed. So awesome. He just said, yeah, you, we'll let you do this one. And uh, we had money uh, lovingly donated by the, the Driehaus Foundation to do this book uh, basically in its entirety without us having to go into pocket. And that was a lovely experience. And uh, I'm getting a, a pretty good amount of money to do this as well, uh, you know, going rate. And since I 
have never designed a book before, and I'm the first one to admit it. I I told Pat, well, I'll take the money, but I'm going to split it with uh, a, another designer or two who we can uh, co-design this book with, and they'll essentially be there to help solve technical problems as they yeah, come up. And fill the gaps. Dot my eyes and cross my T's. So uh, I've been working with a good friend, Bill Sosen, who's a wonderful designer and a photographer in his own right. And uh, it's been a wonderful experience. And I think it's, it's looking real good. I, I'm a, a little excited about this. <laughs> when is it, when is it uh, scheduled to be finished and published? Well, I think Pat's arbitrary deadline this time was May 1st. So uh, I'll have something designed that uh, he's in agreement with by then. And then we'll send it off to uh, the land of printing presses, China. So this summer sometime it'll come out. Yeah, I think he wants it in the stores by fall. All and right. then the, since this one, I, I'm designing, no publisher would touch it. Uh, they, they want control. Sure. And uh, so we're essentially self-publishing and Pat is in the process now of finding a distributor. Yeah. So that's the last piece. And if we, if we can find a decent distributor, I think this book's going to do pretty well. Well, that's very exciting. It's exciting that you sort of uh, have taken on all these different responsibilities of that book, sort of uh, learning through five earlier books, six books, uh, and then taking one and, and reworking it and not only designing it, but publishing it and distributing it and sort of going through the whole the whole yeah. process of publishing. What's what's your future look like? What's the next few years of James Caulfield look like? What's your th what's I have your to think about that. <laughs> yeah, it's it sounds like your whole career has been an evolution. That sort of you just take the the next thing that comes along and and uh, and do it well. It's all creative based. But it's but, nice to be open uh, on one hand. It's also nice to uh, oh, I don't know, respond honestly and uh, determine for myself if something feels good or not. Yeah, and do more books, it, you think? Oh, I, I'm sure. I, I'm just an old school guy, and as that, as that goes, and uh, I, I really like books. I've always liked books. I've always been an avid reader, at least when I was younger and had the time. Uh, I used to read quite a bit, to the exclusion of most everything else. And the addition of pictures into a book—you know—you you got me. I'm, I'm yeah. really. Uh, I give up. The so ultimate. I hope to do more, yeah, and and I hope to uh, have time to do it properly, and you know, be given the uh, the opportunity. Yeah, but I don't know. It's who knows? You get hit by the proverbial bus tomorrow, yeah, and it's all over. But uh, for now, yeah, I would I would welcome it. Yeah, I don't know if it'll be with Pat. I I'm getting the feeling that Pat is questioning whether he would do another book or not. But uh, we'll see. Well, keep us posted. I'm uh, I'm interested. You have a fascinating story. It's uh, I, I'd love to hear how it started and where you are today and uh, and the book that's coming out at home in Chicago is your most recent book. Uh, Frank Lloyd Wright's Unity Temple coming this this uh, this summer or fall. Uh, when that does publish, let us know and we'll we'll push it out to our community as well. Um, James, what is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? 
I've said it already. Just uh, be true to yourself. Be honest. Yeah. And uh, be sensitive enough to know what, what feels right. Good and, answer. You know, be a good person. Don't hurt people. <laughs> be nice yes. to people. That's, that's my I, answer. I, I, I could give that, you know, advice to anybody. And I, and I think it's all good advice. I think it, and I think it's true. I'm not just blowing smoke. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree. I, I, I end every episode of this podcast. This is episode 453 um, with the words love, learn, share. Wow. Those are the those are the three things that I want to leave my kids that if they ask me, what do I need to know? That's what you need to know. Love, you and learn and share. Good his name you. his name is James Caulfield. You can uh, the book. The book is named At Home in Chicago. A Living History of Domestic Architecture. That's the current book that's out now. Uh, you can learn all about James and his photography and the books all at caulfieldphoto.com. We'll have a link to that on the show notes. You could just go there and click the link and that'll take you right there. James, thank you for coming by and sharing your story with our community here at Entre Architect Podcast. It's, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Mark. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, go write a review. I would love to know what you think of this podcast and it helps other architects find us. So go do five-star rating if you like it, share, write a review, I'd love it, and share a link to this episode with a friend because that's how we've grown. That's how Entree Architect has grown to serve thousands of architects throughout the world just like you. Thank you to our sponsors, RCAT, FreshBooks and BQE for their support of this episode. I ask you to support them because they support us. And if they're supporting us, they're supporting you. So go support them. Got it? Go support our sponsors. Links to our sponsors. So you can click on those links and go right to them. Links to our sponsors and all the resources we shared today are available at the show notes for this episode at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. All the shows are there. entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows. I think there are 11 of them there now. Go there, gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And I hope you're going to join us in Austin, November 1st through November 3rd, 2022. Those are the dates for the Entree Architect Community Annual Meeting, our first ever live and in-person conference for you, the small firm architect community. Visit entrearchitect.com slash annual meeting right now to learn more. That's entrearchitect.com slash annual meeting. And I will see you in Austin in November. Don't miss this. This is going to be great. entrearchitect.com slash annual meeting. It's a conference for you, small firm architects. Thank you for listening today to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. 
where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris. Owners of Level Studio Architecture are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then you know in your head you've rooted like oh i'm connected to these people like long term the process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges demanding meticulous planning flawless execution and unyielding resilience i kind of hate the term because it's so overly used but i think everybody knows imposter syndrome and i think it's it's so real to this day i i, I don't know if it's with everybody but with me i'm always questioning like us? Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast. It's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.